Good afternoon, everyone, and a special welcome also for those of you who are online. Uh, so glad that we have actually arrived at the final session of the book of Ecclesiastes. How many of you have been enjoying this study? Did you like it? No, we've actually, we've gone almost 14 sessions on this book, and today we come to the final session. And it's a very exciting session, uh, someone, uh, a session that I really, really uh, would enjoy uh, sharing with you. We're going to be talking to the young, talking to the old, and then in the end, end off with a challenge, a grand challenge for all of us uh, as we seek to live lives that are worth living. So if you have your Bibles, you go with me to the last part of the book of Ecclesiastes now. Uh, book of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I'll read for you from verse 7 until the end of the book, okay? So follow along with me because it's an amazing passage. So here we go. Let's have fun uh, with this one together, okay? Ecclesiastes 11 verse 7 onwards. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, and this is especially for those who are in kinetics and uh, vibe, you who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see and know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart. Cast off the troubles from your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Then chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, and then what follows is a description, an amazing description of what it's like to be old. Okay, and it goes like this. I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble, when the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking to the windows grow dim, and when the doors to the streets are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal homes and mourners go about the streets. In other words, death has arrived. Now remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. And then he brings it all to a grand conclusion and it goes like this. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. And the, the teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goats. They are collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much studies wearies the body. Now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. 
Lord, we are thankful to you for taking us through this study where we can explore life to the eyes of King Solomon. And now as we bring this study to, the, to, a, to, to an end, we pray that God, you will have something that you deposit in our spirit that will enable us to really live lives that are worth living. So we commit this time of sharing to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, it's an amazing study that we've been through and now we're coming to this grand conclusion. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7 and 8, I'd like you to notice that the wise man begin to summarize his analysis of life. And he begins like this. He said, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. How many, however many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. So what he's saying here is this, light is sweet. In other words, it's good to wake up every morning and then to find that you can see light. In other words, you're still alive, right? So light is sweet and it's good to be, a, to be a, alive, to wake up every morning and then you see the sun. So what he then challenged us to do is this, so rejoice and enjoy life while it lasts. In other words, live life to the full. But in your enjoyment, remember that life is not a bed of roses because there will be stuff that can happen that will bring hardship on us, that will bring darkness upon us. You see, so what he's saying is this, that in your enjoyment, remember that some stuff may not be as fun. Some things that happen in our life are not that fun. There are ups and downs in life. There are valleys, there are mountains. You know, there are happy things, there are sad things. All kinds of stuff happens. But in the midst of all that, just remember that even though bad things can happen, enjoy life. And remember that these bad things that can happen in life, they actually make us wiser. Then from verse 9 onwards, he, the wise man then takes us on a journey to develop that idea, okay? And he begins to apply that idea both to the young and then also to the old. So question, what did Solomon say to the young people? And you notice the next portion really begin to address the young people. So if you are from Kinetics, you are from Vibe, you are someone below 30, this is for you, okay? Actually... Nowadays, it's hard to tell which is the age because, you know, things have really changed. Like, I'm still, I, I can still be considered young, okay? And this, it all depends on your mindset. But it's really good to think through this, okay? To know young, he said this. Lesson number one is this. Rejoice. Live life fully. Solomon, as an older man now, is looking back and then he's pleading to the younger people of his time to spend their youthful days profitably. Now, surprisingly, when you look, when you read it carefully, you notice that Solomon did not give them a whole list of things not to do. You know, it's not a whole list of don't do this, don't do that, like most parents would do, right? Most parents, myself included, I used to tell my kids all the time, right? Things like, don't stay up too late, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't take drugs, you know, don't, don't be so lazy, don't play so much computer games, don't, 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 lots of things not to do. But you notice that the wise man did not give them a whole list of don'ts. Actually, he gave them a whole list of do's. And what did he tell them to do? He said, be happy. He said to them, enjoy life. Follow your heart. You know, be adventurous. Do what your eyes uh, see. 
you know, to be adventurous and just put off your worries, cast off your anxieties. He's actually challenging the young people. And I'm saying to all the young people today, you know, enjoy life. Okay, but notice the wise men tell them to enjoy life, but not to enjoy sin. Okay, go ahead, enjoy life. Do what you want, but only one boundary. And the boundary is this, God is watching. God is watching. That's the only parameter he put. Look at verse 9 now, Ecclesiastes 11 verse 9. He says, you who are young, be happy while you are young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart. And whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. In other words, what he's trying to tell us is this, you know, enjoy your life and do anything that your heart tells you to do. Young people, be adventurous. Go out, have a good time. But just remember, the parameter is this. God is watching. What it also tells us is this, that we can actually enjoy life without sinning. Is that right? Hello? That's what he's saying, right? That you can actually enjoy life. You can do a lot of things. And there are many, many good things you can do with our life. And just remember that you don't have to sin. See, and, and it's a tremendous affirmation of life. There's nothing stifling or negative here. The wise man is saying, in effect, you are only young ones, so enjoy it. Right? That's what the young people today like to say, right? The, what's that word they use? Uh, yeah, yeah, yo, 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 whatever. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just that you are young ones, so live it up. Enjoy it. Now, it's so sad for me sometimes to look at, to see our younger people, you know, putting aside their youthfulness ahead of their time. I think we get too serious with life too early. Like, for example, I see young people getting, you know, attached at 12 years old, 13 years old of age. Oh, so young. You know, younger people taking on adult roles too, too early. I don't think that's wise. You know, instead of being free to enjoy relationship, instead of being free to enjoy friendship, instead of being free to enjoy life, we get all tied up in emotional knots, you know, Ayo, how come you never call me, you know, this kind of stuff. You get all tied up and actually, you know, you're free. Enjoy that. You know, and, 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 and don't get caught up in all kinds of emotional heartaches and get broken by all kinds of emotional pain. Young people, here's my challenge to you. Enjoy your youth. Because before you know it, you will finish with your pimples and go straight into wrinkles. You know, that's life. You know, to, but go ahead. While you're young, enjoy your life. And all the people say, Amen. Go ahead. Enjoy life. Young people, I will encourage you. Learn to let go. Don't take life too seriously. Just because you put a post and nobody liked it, don't get depressed. Don't worry. I think they didn't read it. That's all. You know, just learn to live life to the full. Learn to laugh at yourself. Quit worrying and start living. I want you to know, young people, life need not be boring. It can be brilliant. It's just enjoy it. Here's some recommendation for you. Why don't you get out of your room? <laughs> Go climb a mountain or sail the seas, you know, switch off your phone for a while. Go learn a new skill or try a new sport, cook a new dish, you know, maybe do something new, read a new book, you know. Grow, change, learn, do something new. Reinvent yourself. Have fun in life. Forget the past, enjoy the present and embrace the future. So get up, young people, and just live life to the full.
But at the same time, he says, don't just rejoice and live life fully, but also remember and live life responsibly. That's the second thing we need to do, young people. Live life to the full and then live life responsibly. There is this parameter that the wise man put for us that Solomon set for enjoying life, which is this, remember God. In the midst of all your enjoyment, remember God. And by the way, this word remember actually is, is, uh, is the wise man is actually state, it's not so much to do with memory. Okay? When, you know, every time we look at the word remember, we think memory. But actually, it's not, it's not so much to do with memory, but rather it, what it means is to act decisively for God. When they say remember God, what, they, what it's literally saying is to act decisively for God. Uh, it's like, I can say that I remember my wife's birthday, but it means nothing unless I buy her a birthday present. You understand? Get me? You don't believe, you try it. You know, you just say, I remember. <laughs> so what? <laughs> if you didn't act on it, nothing really happens. That's the whole point, you see. Uh, until I act on it, it means nothing to her. But it is action rather than just memory. And Solomon, as an older man with hindsight now, is now encouraging the young people in his time to enjoy life, but also have the foresight of acting decisively for God. Remember God. Keep God in mind. And then don't just keep Him here, but begin to act decisively for God in everything. And Solomon knows that the one extreme for man is that sometimes we forget to enjoy life, but the other extreme is we enjoy life so much until we forget God. So he's saying, bring the two together. Okay, enjoyment of life and, and acting decisively for God can come together. What Solomon is saying literally is this, if I can be young again, I will enjoy life and I'll bring God into it. And that's what we need. And then he gives us two reasons why we should remember God in the midst of our enjoyment. And the two reasons he gave is this. Number one, why must you remember God? It's because He is our Creator. Look at uh, chapter 12, verse 1, right? Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. You know, when, why must we remember God? Why must we act decisively for Him all the time? It's because He is our Creator at the beginning. You know, when you go and buy, uh, say, a Toyota car, what do, the, what do the Toyota company give you? They give you a work maker's handbook. Am I right? A Toyota handbook. What does this book do? It helps you to derive the maximum driving pleasure from this car. It helps you to know how to look after this car and how to get maximum benefit out of this car because the maker knows best. In the same way, when God created you, when God created me, He also gave us a maker's handbook. What is that? That's our Bible. The Holy Bible is the maker's handbook. If you follow it, it will enable you to get the best out of life. This is how you derive maximum benefit out of life. It is by following that book. And since God made all of us, He would know what is best for us. So he challenges, remember God in the days of your youth because he is your creator, number one. The second reason why we must remember God 
in all of the midst of enjoying life is this. He is not just our creator at the beginning, he's also our judge at the end. So you look at chapter 11, uh, verse 9, chapter 12, verse 14, it talks about how in the end, God will bring everything into judgment. You know, have you heard the story about an atheist talking to his friend? This atheist said to the friend, you know, after you die, there is nothing. So the friend asked him, how do you know? And then the atheist said, well, very simple. I asked a lot of dead people. They all said nothing. You know, so we, friends, we all like to think that death ends all things. After we die, you know, we just slip into nothingness. But that's a lie of the devil. That's not true. You know what the Maker's Handbook tells us? The Maker's Handbook tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It says, just as it is destined for man once to die, but after that, there is judgment. After that, judgment. And brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, death does not end all things. At the end of time, there is still judgment. There will come a day of reckoning when all the accounts have to be settled, all the bills have to be paid, and there is nothing more expensive than sin. See? And, and if, if young people do not remember God in the days of their youth, we will end up enjoying life without God's boundaries. And the end result of that will be self-destruction. So remember, people, there is nothing you and I can do that will escape the all-seeing eyes of God. He will bring everything into the light of judgment. And nothing you do, nothing I do, escapes the all-seeing eyes of God. Now, that's why I love that question, you know, that every philosophy class have to deal with. In the early years of a study of philosophy, they always, they, they like to start the class with this question and then they get into this philosophical debate you know, just to get their juices flowing. And the question goes like this. Yeah, I like this question. It goes like this. If a tree falls in the jungle with no one there to hear it, does it make a noise? And then the philosophy students will have to spend hours debating this. <laughs> Here's the idea, right? If a tree falls in the jungle and there's nobody there to hear it, does it make a noise? The answer could be anything because nobody's there to hear it, how to know, right? But and then they spend hours debating you know, how, how, to, how to answer this question until there was a Christian minister who attended a class like this and then he came up with this excellent answer given in the form of a poem and it reads like this. Listen to this. There was a young man who thought God must find it exceedingly odd when he sees that this tree continues to be when there's no one about in the court. Young man, your astonishment's odd. I'm always about in the court. And that is why this tree will continue to be since observed by yours faithfully, God. <laughs> I like that. What is he saying? Actually, he's saying that if a tree falls in the, in the jungle, and you cannot say there's no one there to hear it because God is the silent observer of everything that happens. God is the unseen hearer of every word that you and I utter. He is the unseen discerner of every thought that we entertain inside. There is nowhere and there is nothing that happens without God actually watching, without actually God observing. So the answer to this question to me, I think is yes, of course it makes a noise because 
God is the one. Somebody is there. It's, it's, the, the question itself is wrong. If a tree falls in the jungle and there's no one there to listen, there's always someone there to listen because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He sees everything. Somebody say amen. You know, so people, here's my point. God is saying to all of us this afternoon, enjoy life, but remember Him and act decisively for Him. So He's saying to all the young people, do that. Enjoy your life. Go out there. Try new things. Have a go. Live, have a blast. You know, live your life to the fullest. But just remember God and act decisively for Him. And then he begins to move on to the older people now. Okay, what does Solomon say about the old? Now he goes on to contrast youth and old age. Okay, you look at chapter 12, he goes on to give us one of the most vivid descriptions of old age in the Bible. It's a brilliant description. I never thought that it was, I, I never could quite understand it until I became older. And then I begin to see everything works, you know, everything fits. You know, when you're young, you never think that we'll ever become old. You know, when I was 30, I look at someone like Uncle Bob and, you know, think, oh man, I'll never get there. What is happening to this man? <laughs> you know, but now I'm nearing there <laughs> and things begin to change. It's like one young boy, you know, asking his grandfather, he said, uh, Grandpa, were you in the ark with Noah? <laughs> because we think, we always think older people come from another planet, you know, but the truth is this, as I get older, I begin to identify with what Ecclesiastes say in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Now, listen to this one. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before these things begin to happen. What are these things? He says, before you no longer find pleasure in life. You know, he's saying that sometimes people get old, they become jaded, a bit cynical. They have seen it all. There's no more pleasure. Nothing new under the sun. You know, when the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, in other words, things begin to grow faint. You lose your memory. Keepers of the house tremble. What is that? I think it is the arms and legs growing weak. The strong men begin to stoop. That means what? Standing straight becomes a problem. When the grinders cease to become, uh, grinders, grinders cease because they are few. In other words, your teeth are huh, beginning to fall. Okay, and we are getting less and less. Windows begin to grow dim. What is that? Your eyesight is becoming dim, right? The doors to the street are shut. That means going out becomes difficult. The sound of grinding fades. There's no more pleasure in eating. You eat less and less as you grow older and older. Their songs begin to grow faint. You wake up to the sound of birds, but when you listen, it sounds very faint. That means what? The hearing is beginning to go. You're afraid of heights and of dangers when courage and bravado is gone. You know, the almond trees begin to blossom. He goes on to say, what is that? I think, you know, when an el almond tree grows, grow, uh, blossom, the whole tree becomes white. I think he's talking about our hair. As you get older, you know, hair becomes white. And then he goes on to say, the grasshopper drags itself along. What is a grasshopper supposed to do? Grasshopper supposed to hop, right? But after that, <laughs> we are all, when you're young, you hop all over the place. When you get older, yeah. Just drag ourselves along. And what another picture of growing old when desires are no longer stirred, appetite is gone, sex becomes a non issue. Man goes to his eternal home and moaners go out into the street. What is that? Death has come. 
You know, all this, when you read it through, the first time I read it, I was a young man. I, I never could understand it. But all this seems foreign to the young, but I can tell you this, it's very real for us older folks. I'm getting there. By next year, I'll be 60. You know, I've gone, I know but I, things have changed for me, you know. I've gone from V-shape during my swimming days. Now I'm A-shape. <laughs> my chest over the years has slowly dropped into my stomach, you understand? Now I'm an all-rounder. I play centre forward now. <laughs> Joking. It's a vivid description. I think you read it through. It's a vivid description of growing old, isn't it? And then he goes on to say this. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered, the wheel is broken. What's all that about? Within this context, I believe it's really painting for us a picture of death. Because during ancient times, the rich people would take a golden bowl, a, a bowl and then it's coated with, with gold, and then they fill it up with oil, put a wick inside, and it becomes a lamb for them, right? Then they would suspend this lamb using sil silver cords, okay? But when this, just, just to show their wealth, you know, that everything is in gold and silver. But when the silver cord breaks, then what happened to the bowl? It, it falls. All the oil spills out and the light is extinguished. So what is it talking about? It's talking about death, when your light is gone, you see? And the, uh, the other picture you get is a picture in the wheel. It actually paints a picture of a, of, of a well, okay? And, and when, when, when the wheel is broken in a well, it means the well becomes useless, see? And the picture will smash itself against the side of the, of the well. The whole thing collapses, and the, the, the well now, which is once used to draw water, it now has become dry, and it becomes useless. So it's talking about how reaching the end. In summary, what the wise man is saying is this, remember God before dust returns to the ground, the spirit returns to God, and death catches up with us. Now, from a perspective of under the sun, as long as I live, by the, by the end of all this, because he, didn't, he doesn't know Christ, if we have Christ, then at the end of all this, we actually enter into eternity with God. But if we don't have Christ, everything just kind of becomes meaningless. That was what he was talking about. So remember this, without Christ, we grow old and have nothing to look forward to with anticipation, nothing to look backwards with satisfaction. But if we have Christ in our heart, then we can look forward with anticipation, look backwards with satisfaction. Without God, G.K. Chesterton says, man starts from no beginning and he goes towards no end. But with Christ, what happened? For us, everything starts when we meet Christ and everything will end when we see him face to face. You know, with Christ, you never need to end up like this old man who wrote this note. He says, I get up each morning, dust off my wits, pick up the papers and read the obits. If my name is missing, I know I'm not dead. So I eat a good breakfast and I go back to bed. <laughs> you don't need to live life like this. But we live life with so much vigor. Then we will understand God is constantly calling out to us in the words of Robert Browning. It goes like this, you know, grow old together with me for the best is yet to be. For people who know Christ, I can, we are going to grow old with glory and grace because we know the best is yet to be. Now, can I take a moment uh, this morning just to 
address the seniors in our midst. I've spoken to the young people. Can I take a moment just to address the seniors in our midst? Can I just find out how many of us here in this hall today, you're actually above 60? Can I see your hands? Oh, awesome. Quite good. Uh, you know, you are such a precious, precious generation to all of us here in this hall. Those of you who are above 60, we want to honour you today really because you you bring with you so much experience, so much wisdom, you know. So I tell you what, those of you above 60, would you do me a favour? Would you please stand up so that we can just honour you and say thank you to the amazing older people in our midst, yeah? Awesome. How many of us? About 20% above, above 60 here. Fantastic. Uncle Bob, I believe you are 90 already. Am I right? Whoa, look at that. <laughs> we honour you. Thank you so much. Uncle Barry and Nymphe, you're about 70, aren't you? Amazing. Thank you. Wow. Hey, let me, grab a seat, my friends, and uh, let me encourage you with something, okay? And You know, the year before Ravi Zechariah died, uh, that's about a year plus ago, um, the year before that, he actually spoke in a Far East organisation event in Singapore, where I happened to, to be present. So I was there, and in that talk that he gave, he, I vividly recall Ravi talking about a study that was done to find out the most effective decade in terms of influence and impact for an individual. Okay, it, was a, it was a really good study done, and I was, I was really amazed by what, what he said. And I later verified with Max Jaganathan, because I didn't capture the, where the source of the study is, but I later verified with Max Jaganathan, who is the Asia-Pacific Director of IM, and asked him, is, is this true? And, and, and uh, Max actually confirmed with me that that's correct. In fact, they, in their team, they often take time to discuss this very study. Now, the study actually shows that the best decade in terms of an individual's influence and impact um, the findings was quite surprising to me because I always thought that the most impactful people are those in their, who are younger, say 40s, 50s, those are the ones. But the, the finding was quite interesting. What they found was this, individual influence and impact, the highest, most effective decade they found was, number one, band one is those who are 60 to 70. 60 to 70 is uh, most individually impactful and influential decade, 60 to 70. And then the second band, depending on health, is 70 to 80. And then the third after that is 50 to 60. Then there's a huge gap before the next band come into play. And that's 40 and then below. And, and what it says was that basically, the first three was quite close, and then after that, there's a huge gap, and then come the 40s. And I was really thrown away by that, you know. Put in real terms, what it means is this. The Elon Musk, the Mark Zuckerberg, the Stephen Fatigue, and all that, they are exceptions. The norm in terms of influence and impact will be the Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, the Warren Buffetts, the Greg Rochelle, the Rick Warren generation. Are you getting the point? So what's my point? My point is this. What I'm saying to all the 50s, the 80s among us is this, don't retire, but refire. You need to do that because the truth is this, your best days are yet ahead. Your most impactful days are coming. 
it's not over, but it is just starting, you know. And next year, actually, I just realized, you know, I thought when I hit 60, that's the end. No, man, I'm just beginning. I'm about to enter my most effective, most influential, most impactful era of my life. And, and here's a challenge I want to give to you. I think it is a time for those of you who are 50s to 80s, can I challenge you? It's not a time for you to sit back, relax, let the young people do their thing. But I think this is the time for us to use all that God has deposited in us, our experience, our resource, our learnings and all that, and reinvest it in the next generation. You know, we multiply our effectiveness through mentoring and discipling the next generation because the best is yet to be. So here's my challenge. Don't just spend the rest of your life pottering around in your garden or going from one cruise to the next. Okay, I know it's okay. Please go ahead and potter in the garden and do go for your cruise. Go for it. Okay, I, I plan to or so. But the thing is this, you have more, you can do more than that. But this is about the best years of our life. And we should be getting ready to really live our life to the fullest along with the young people. How many of you will say amen to that? I think we have the best is yet to be. We take all that we have and then we sign up and we serve the Lord full time. For free. <laughs> That's the best part. You know, seniors, here's, here's the thing, you know. We, I think we are in the season of life where we actually have the most experience, the most resources, the most time, and the most capacity. So we, we really, and, and, and I, I, I'm very thankful for so many of the volunteer staff that we have in the church. You know, the Auntie Anne's and the, the Auntie Ruth and, you know, Faith, people like that. There's so many of them who actually give of themselves to serve at a time like this, in this season of their life. And I think it's amazing. You know, and if, they, if, if you don't need an income anymore, it doesn't mean that you cannot, you cannot work. You can, you, you can still work. You can still serve. And I would encourage you, you come. And I will sign you up and I'll make you a full-time staff. And then we can work together, you know. And, and the, I will take the income that because you don't need it. If you, don't, if you need it, we'll pay you. But if you don't need it, you know, then you know what? I'll take the money that I otherwise have to pay you. I will bring in the younger, younger pastors. I'll, I'll, I'll bring in younger staff members so that we've got many, many years to develop them. Many, many years to grow them. You know, we take in the artists and people like that, you know, and take them in young. And then we develop them. You know what? By the time Arthur is 40 years old, he would have like 10 over 20 years of ministry experience behind him. And then guess what? By the time he reaches the age of 40, he'll be a very effective minister for the Lord. And then what? He will have at least 20, 30 years to give back to the kingdom of God of really, really effective service. Why not? I think the young and the old coming together will be amazing. What do you think? This service this is not so excited. <laughs> you know, I think so. You know, and, and I think, after all, you know, the kingdom of God deserves the very best people. You know, and, and by the time they... I mean, we, that's exactly what I, I feel I want to do in my life. I really want to serve the Lord until 
the end and give it all we got. And that was exactly what Solomon chose to do with his life. You know, you read from verse 9 to 14 now, he brings the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, to a grand conclusion and summarized these things for us. He took all of his observation, all of his experience, knowledge and reflection, distilled them into wisdom and then passed it on to the next generation. And, and mind you, these are not just a collection of nicely constructed words and sentences, but they are all based on one thing, truth. They are based on truth. Read verse 9 and 10 now of Ecclesiastes 12. Listen to this. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. Then the teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. They are all based on truth. These truths are not just rooted in human wisdom, but they were based on divine revelation. Everything that he has observed through the lens of God. Where is the source? Actually, all that he has written comes from one shepherd, God, the one and only shepherd of life. Look at verse 11. This word, the words of the wise are like goats. They are collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. See? And all this truth rooted in God, now he collects them, he puts them out, he writes them out, then he passes it on to the next generation. And here's the grand conc uh, conclusion concerning a life worth living. It's found in verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. You know, if I can, I would ask you to remove one word from the NIV translation, and that's the word duty. You know, uh, it's, it makes it sound like all fearing God and, and keeping commandments is just a duty. But in the, in, in the original Hebrew, that word duty does not even appear. Perhaps a better translation would be simply this, fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man, or the wholeness of man. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man. You see, the key to a wholesome life is not just uh, fearing God, keeping the commandments, it's not just a duty. It is the very essence of life itself. You see, and what he's saying really is this, you know, the key to a wholesome life, a life worth living, is to fear God and keep His commandments. You know, how, how do people end up living broken and fragmented lives? Is it not because we fail to remember our Creator in the days of our youth? Is it not because we choose to do our own thing? Isn't it not because we, we did not fear God, didn't keep His commandments? That's why we end up where we end up. But if you really want to have a life worth living, you say, fear God, keep His commandments. These are the foundations to a life worth living. Fear God and just obey Him. It is so simple. It's so uncomplicated. It's so pure. It's unadulterated, you know. It's so clear and uncluttered. Just fear God and do what He says. That's the whole of life. That's what it is. So let me in summary, say this to the young people in our midst, those of you who consider yourself young, rejoice, live life fully, but at the same time, remember to live life responsibly. Why? Because He is our Creator at the beginning, He will be our judge at the end. To the older, more mature among us, my challenge to you is this, don't retire, 
but refire for God. Your best days are still ahead. So let's not spend the golden years of our life on ourselves, but let's reinvest it in the next generation. The most powerful and underutilized resource in the church, I think that the 50s to the 80s, let's sign up to serve. The best is yet to be. The best is yet to be. I will end off this morning with this as we uh, bring the study of Ecclesiastes to a close. And I'll challenge every one of us, whether young or old, I leave you with this thought. Psalms 90 verse 12 has an amazing verse that goes like this. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I love this, right? Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know, when the psalmist said to number our days, he's actually stating a wisdom principle that is not based on quantity, but it is based on quality, which means this. Basically, it, it means that it, it does not necessarily mean that the longer you live, the wiser you will be. Because I've noticed there are wise people who die young and there are foolish people who live long. There are older people that are not so wise, but there are also younger people that are wise. So the real question, my friend, is not how long number your days. It's not how long you live on this earth. But the question is, what are you leaving behind when you leave this earth? That's the question. It's not how long you live on this earth, but it's what do you leave behind when you leave this earth? How will people actually remember you? That is the question. Um, April 11, 2015, in the New York Times, there was an opinion column that one article came up that I thought was very interesting. It's written by a guy called David Brooks. And David Brooks actually wrote about the difference between what he called resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Okay, resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. And I quote what he wrote in his article. It goes like this. The resume virtues are the ones you list on your resume. The skills that you bring up, you bring to the job market and that contribute to external success. The eulogy virtues are deeper. They are the virtues that get talked about at your funeral. The ones that exist at the core of your being. Whether you are kind, brave, honest or faithful. What kind of relationships you form. You know, when you think about it, we spend a lot of our time in our adult years actually developing our resume virtues, right? We develop our skill sets, our personal branding, we develop our connections, we develop our, our value propositions, etc. And these things are all very, very important. But what David Brooks is trying to inform us is this, that eulogy virtues matters even more because our eulogy virtues define us at the funeral, you will hardly hear people talk about the deceased, you know, how much he has in his bank or the type of car he drives or the size of the house he lives in. But what do we hear in a, in, a, in a eulogy? It's usually about the walk that he has with his God, the relationship he has in his family, the kind of 
um, loyalty he has towards his friends, you know, the, 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 the passion he has for the lost, the needy, and the causes that he stood for. These are the things you hear in a funeral. And these are the inspiring narrative of who that person really is or what David Brooks called his eulogy virtues. And my challenge to all of us, whether young or old, that even from today, from now, we will build our eulogy virtues so that it is no longer about what, how long you live on this earth. It's really about what you leave behind when you leave this earth. That is what life is going to be all about. So may God help us, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Then we can look forward in anticipation to being with God and look backwards with satisfaction because we know we leave something good behind. Then I can say together with the hymnist, you know, if life be long, I will be glad for I have longed to obey. If short, why should I be sad to soar to endless days? Because that's what it's all about. Amen. May God help each one of us to number our days, gain a heart of wisdom. May God help each one of us, really, to build our eulogy virtues, not just our resume virtues. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Let's stand together.